0: this morning we're we got a little bit of a longer passage to read it doesn't take that much longer but it's just as important so before we uh, before we begin that let's uh, let's open with prayer and ask god's blessings upon us heavenly father thank you for this morning thank you for the beauty of the day uh for another season that is upon us now with spring we thank you for that ask if you would help get rid of the pollen. That might not be a bad thing. Either way, we just praise you and thank you for what you've done for us and continue to do for us and will do for us in the days ahead. Our study today on the church of Thyatira is very important, and so we just ask if you would, would you open our hearts and our minds. May the words that are heard by the congregation today be far greater than the words that I speak. Uh, may your spirit be with us as we strive to learn more from your word this day. We just ask you to bless us, and we praise you for it in Jesus' name. Amen. If you would stand with me, we're going to be looking at Revelation 2, verses 18 through 29 this morning. And here's where John writes to us, And to the angel of the church in Thyatira, right. The words of the Son of God, who has eyes like a flame of fire, whose feet are like burnished bronze. I know your works, your love, and faith and service and patient endurance, and that your latter works exceed the first. But I have this against you, that you tolerate that woman Jezebel, who calls herself a prophetess, and is teaching and seducing my servants to practice sexual immorality and to eat food sacrificed to idols. are broken in pieces, even as I myself have received authority from my Father, and I will give him the morning star. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the church. God's word for God's people. May God be praised. Be seated, please. We're being able to see a pattern in each of these letters as we progress we see in each letter there's, there's an introduction from Jesus as the author. We know who the letter is being addressed to. As the angel, we said several weeks ago, very likely is the pastor of that particular church. But Jesus' description varies from letter to letter. And the description lends itself to something going on in that particular letter or in that particular church. The sharp double edged sword we saw two weeks ago, for instance, reminded the church at Pergamos that the Word of God was protecting the church, that Jesus could see and defend the people of that church. The second thing in each letter is that there's a commendation for that church in, in, the, in that particular letter. I know your afflictions and your poverty, yet you're rich. You've persevered and have endured hardship for my sake. Be faithful encouragements, reminders to not get down. Yet, the third thing is a condemnation where it was needed. You have forsaken your first love. If you do not repent, I will come and remove your lampstand from its place. Repent, or I will come and fight against them with that sword in my mouth. And lastly, there is a promise for those who overcome. He who overcomes will not be hurt by the second death. I will give them hidden manna. In other words, I will give you a crown of life. The pattern in these letters continues. Today, we look at that church in Thyatira. This small place was a Roman possession. It was used as a slowing down for enemies who were coming to attack Pergamum, the region where Pergamus was located. It was considered an expendable place in the grand scheme of things. Oddly enough, it was part of a major trade route and was known for its trade guilds of all all things. Oddly enough, it was part of a major trade route and was known for these guilds. Carpenters, tanners, weavers, tent makers, among other trades, they were well known. Now, on one hand, they were not the same as trade unions that we would see today because of their tradition of having a pagan guardian god for each guild. And as a member of each guild, you'd be expected to participate in the activities that would be tied to that particular god. You would offer sacrifices, give offerings, attend feasts for those particular gods. And oftentimes, immoral behavior accompanied pagan worship in Thyatira. Yet, on the other hand, these guilds paralleled our trade unions today and that it would be virtually impossible to get a job if you tried to play the Lone Ranger and go it alone without becoming a member of one of those guilds. So here, you, you had a church that on the one hand attempted to stay firm for Christ, and yet, practically speaking, that would more times than not put these Christians up Against these important, almost necessary for life guilds, You could make a living in Thyatira, a good one at that. Or you could run the risk of finding little to no work if you didn't comply with the rules and regs of the guilds and its accompanying paganism. The town of Thyatira also had a temple to the sun goddess Apollo Sun God Apollos. Notice in verse 18, Jesus, how he is described in this particular letter. The Son of God, whose eyes are like blazing fire, whose feet are burnished bronze. That will give you an idea of something very strong, very hot, very piercing, very bright, like the sun. Far greater than Apollos could ever be. The description almost also makes us think again of Anger. The son is angry with what was going on in Thyatira. Now, a little piece of history here or trivia. This is the only place where the title Son of God is used in the revelation of Jesus Christ. The Son of God term is alluded to in Psalm 2-7. And it says in verses 8 and 9 that God will make his son have authority over the earth. God will also make those who rebel against him his possession. So Christ is going to have rule over the earth, whether we choose to accept that rule or not. This this promise will also come into play at the end of this letter. We said a few minutes ago that after the introduction of the description of Jesus in this particular letter, there would be a commendation To the church as to who he was writing to. If of course. A commendation. Could be found. Jesus tells the church in Thyatira. That it was to be commended. For being a loving church. For being a serving church. He tells them. They are a faithful people. And one that was growing. Both in their patience. And in their good works. We could go so far as to say that. They didn't give up easily, no matter what came their way. They stuck with the task at hand, and they followed what they had been taught to do. Yet, there was an inner problem within this church. Oftentimes, we can run into a church that have a lot of problems on the inside of the church and on the outside. folks that are just simply negative. Here, outside and inside. There's no reason to do this or or that in this little old town. Nobody cares about that. It doesn't matter here. Or in the church, there's no trying to do that. It'll never work. You know, we tried that about 30 years ago, and it didn't work then. What makes you think it's going to work today? And then there are the seven deadliest words in a church. Does anybody know what those seven deadliest words are? We've never done it that way before. <laughs> yeah. Now, I was part of a church at one time where I was told that we will not change anything as long as I am alive. I'm, this is the truth. After I'm dead, you can do anything you want. But not while I am here. A few causing division of the majority these are words that can kill the spirit of a community or break the back of a church but the church in thyatira although they really didn't have enough history behind them to use these excuses and all that we can today they were moving forward constantly consistently in their work for the lord in spite of some things that were taking place, they were moving in the direction a good, solid-based church should be moving. Everything looks good here, okay? And Jesus took note of that. He let them know that he was very happy. He was proud of them for this. As we said before, if it weren't a sin, I believe a lot of churches would be quite envious over these words that Jesus spoke about the qualities and the characteristics this particular church displayed. Now remember, we said a bit ago that after the commendations, generally in these letters came a condemnation. This letter, sadly, is no different. There's a big word here, but. B-U-T. But has a greater impact in this particular letter than perhaps maybe in some of the others. But here is what I have against you, he says. These are words that should make every church that hears them literally quake in their collective boots and should make them get down on their knees together as a church in a hurry. You put up with that woman Jezebel. Now, this was a name that was well known in the Jewish community from their past history. We see in a real brief description of Jezebel, her story in First and 2 Kings, where we see Jezebel was the queen to King Ahab and was an organizer of guilds of all things of another kind in the nation of Israel. She organized guilds for prophets in the worship of Baal, which under Ahab's watch, that was to be the national religion for Israel. In 1 Kings 18, 4, she's known for killing off prophets of God. Elijah was in a very difficult fight with Ahab and Jezebel, but he had God on his side, so we know how it comes out. Jesus continues. She calls herself a prophet. By her teaching, she has led my servants into sexual immorality. She's tricked them into eating food, offered to idols. Now in all likelihood, Jezebel was not her real name, okay? Yet the church, or at least part of the church that's key here was enamored enough with her teaching that they fell for her false teaching. She made the words she was using to teach sound so sweet and good. Maybe even some of the more experienced members of that church in Thyatira, maybe they fell for them too. Remember a few weeks back, the letter to the church in Ephesus. They had their problems, but the one thing that they did well was they tested every teacher and prophet that came along, and they found a number of them to be false. They used the gospel of Jesus Christ as their barometer and found them to be lacking in the truth. Here, Jesus is saying that the truth in the, uh, the church in Thyatira was simply not testing those who came to teach them. Sure, get on up there. Say what you want to. And if anybody believes it, then we'll, we'll talk after our worship. Here, Jesus is saying that the church in Thyatira was just not testing those words. They were allowing, in at least one particular instance anyway, a lady to come in and teach. And what she was teaching sounded good enough, almost, to be true, but it wasn't. Another commentary I found said, Jezebel could have represented a faction, a group of people that were coming in and teaching false doctrine concerning idol worship. Either way, they were... As the church in Pergamos before they were compromising themselves to the point that idol worship was becoming a real issue. Why did it become an issue? Well, first, because the leaders of the church were allowing it to happen. That's not a good thing. And second... Because the people were ready. Whether they wanted to admit it or not, they were ready for change. Or at least some were. The situation didn't necessarily mean everyone was on board, though. Again, a minority in a church, I don't care how many, one, two, three, or four, can create problems within a larger congregation. Division could have have been another problem that they had arising here. But know this, even if it's just one or two listening, that can cause problems anywhere, okay, within any organization for that matter. Maybe they were ready to listen because the church wasn't growing fast enough. Or maybe they felt like they were being passed on by, by the community, Maybe the gospel was a little too harsh for them and they needed to have less conscience about what they were doing right and wrong. Perhaps maybe they had had too much difficulty trying to stay focused on Jesus and the world kept banging on their door. Maybe, as it says in verse 24, some just didn't understand how far Satan would go to tear a church apart. Remember, Jesus commended them for sticking to him. Perhaps they were just to the point where the world was wearing them down. If you look at the church today, universal, we can see in so many instances it would be so easy, so gallant on our part to simply invite the world on into the church, to stand united with all the world as we try to become one in whatever spirit the world wanted to dictate to us. Certainly not the spirit of God. Perhaps becoming politically correct is what was happening in the church of Thyatira. Don't offend anybody. Let everybody become part of the church. After all, this there was this prophet, this person or persons who was supposedly of God. Telling us that this is what we should do. Sounds really good, doesn't it? We don't want to have to leave anyone out, do we? We want to include everybody, don't we? Nowhere, nowhere in the Bible do we see where God accepts that kind of compromise in His kingdom. Why then do we think that because the world says it, it's okay to do something? It's okay to do it, as the world says. In thousands of years, This philosophy, this belief, this understanding of the gospel has not changed. Jesus says that he's given Jezebel plenty of time to come to her senses and seek repentance for leading God's people astray. But she refuses to do so. Her punishment is going to fit her crime. In this instance, the church was being led into idol worship. And subsequently into adultery. As much of pagan uh, worship was centered around sexual immorality. And they ate of the food of idols, much like what we saw in Pergamos. You know, we talked about trade guilds earlier. Perhaps part of what Jezebel taught was that it was okay to sell your soul to these guilds for work, it was all right to see things in the way of the world so that you could stay employed as a prophet. It would be easy to simply say. God told me to tell you. That it's okay to do what you have to do. To compromise yourself. It's okay with God. He he won't hold that against you. He knows you need to work. Can you hear words like that today? Being preached and taught. In pulpits in this country. And in the world. Well that's what's happening. Sell your soul to the world. God wants you to do it. In fact. In fact. We just may be doing wrong if we don't do that. How about teaching that the Bible is old, antiquated, outdated, and it's simply not meant for us to use today for more than a paperweight on a nice-looking coffee table. As long as you love God, love your brother, let him do anything he wants to, as long as it doesn't bother you, you're in business. They were distorting the truth, even within their own church. Nothing new here. Look at Acts 20, verse 29 and on. Paul ran into the same thing, and he was reminding the church in Ephesus to be on guard. But he says, I know that after I leave, savage wolves will come in among you. Even from your own number, men will arise and distort the truth in order to draw away disciples after them. Did you hear that? I'm going to read that sentence over again. Even from your own number, men will arise and distort the truth in order to draw away disciples after them. But before that happens, we have a chance to keep going in the right direction. However, this letter is telling us that we need to make sure we maintain that right and narrow path. Otherwise, we need to repent from the direction we have taken and set a new course towards Jesus. So hard to see a misdirection coming at you. Not all see it. Maybe not all fall for it. But it only takes a few to ruin A church. Kind of like we said previously. Things like that just don't blow the doors off of the church. They don't come in the front door saying. Here we come. We're teaching false doctrine. Get ready for it. No. False doctrine and teachers come in unannounced. They come in unassuming. They come in innocent looking. And it's difficult to hear. That we're going in a wrong direction. And we need to cleanse ourselves of this evil that comes our way. We don't want to have to do that. These Jezebels will be folks who will do or will be your best friend. They'll do anything for you in the name of Jesus, but their lives give them away as to what they're really about. Change is oftentimes painful. Repentance is quite often painful. Changing old, sinful habits can be quite painful, and yet change is necessary when those situations enter into the church. Lastly, Jesus gave them promises that if they would overcome the positive uh, if, if they would overcome. The positive thing that these folks had going for them is that they were still growing in their faith, enough for Jesus to be encouraged. Therefore, he encourages them as well. You know the old saying that a stop clock is right twice a day. That may not be a bad thought here to go with this church. Jesus is not wanting them to to destroy what they have entirely. Just simply reevaluate where they are and make amends before it is too late. Otherwise, they're in danger of judgment. To Jezebel and to those who refuse to repent, I will strike her children dead, Jesus says in this verse 23. And in 24, you can tell that the disease is not in the entire church. Not yet, at least. For the rest of you in Thyatira, he says, who don't hold to Jezebel's teaching, hold fast to what you have until I get there. And then God the Son gives the same promise to that church and to us today, as God the Father gave His Son in Psalm 2, verse 8. To him who overcomes and who does my will to the end, I will give authority over the nations, just like the Father gave me. I will give him the morning star. And we see in Revelation twenty two, sixteen, Jesus is that morning star. So in closing, I want to ask you, where are we as a church, as Hill City? Are we going the straight path that has been laid out for us? How about as individuals? Do we need to correct our pathway at all? Do we need to do a little better job of searching the Scriptures so that we ensure safe travel in this world? Are we too proud to repent from our wrongdoings? Consider how easy it is to change our thinking about certain things in life. We've all been talked into things and out of things in our lives, have we not? We can be so easily swayed at times. Are we individually and corporately growing in faith? Or are we sitting here stagnating, complaining because nothing is happening? Only you can answer that question. Let's pray. Father, thank you. We praise you, God, and we just simply ask your blessings upon us as we attempt to traverse each and every day. There's a lot outside in the world that wants to come into this world, or into the church, to change our thinking, to be more like the world and less like you. And yet, that's not what they preach. They preach that we're doing what you want us to do. So, Father, may we, as the church in Ephesus did, may we study the scriptures. May we test the prophets. May we test anything that is brought in to this congregation so that we might know that we are and will continue to be teaching and preaching the truth. Would you help us to that end? We ask you in Jesus' name. Amen. I need to help you